Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Hi, this is Jason from the Popcorn and Pod People podcast, and you're listening to one of my favorite podcasts, History Goes Bump. the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 213th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane, and it's just me on this episode. Denise is off taekwondoing, if that's a word, and spending some time with her dad. Today's episode is featuring Manhattanville College, which was suggested to us by our listener, Bailey Pollock. And Denise was a part of the interview that we did with Bailey, so you will hear her on this episode in just a bit. Love to point out podcasts to you guys that I enjoy. We know you love the paranormal and real ghost stories, I'm sure. So be sure to check out Knock Once for Yes. This is based over in the UK, and I've really been enjoying it. There's some fabulously creepy stories on there, and the hosts have a great chemistry, and their accents just add to it. So make sure you check that out. If you guys haven't checked out the interview that I did on podcasts we listened to with Jeremy Collins, I encourage you guys to do that. It is by far my most favorite interview that I've done so far. We talk about ghosts and the podcast, but we also talk about podcasting in general and just all kinds of different topics. Had a really great time. I think you guys will really enjoy that. So check that out. Podcasts we listen to. We got a pile of people to welcome into the Spooktacular crew again. Victoria, Rita, who spells her name R-H-E-T-A, Trisha, Caitlin, who spells her name C-A-I-T-L-I-N, Pam, Sarah, Robin, Deepak or Dipak, Amy, who spells her name A-I-M-I-E, Darren, Chris, who hosts the Mad Scientist podcast. Encourage you guys to check that one out as well, especially if you lean more towards the skeptical side of things. He likes to explain a lot of the strange via science. We've had three Jessicas join us, Jessica U, Jessica S, and Jessica W, and two Garys, Gary M and Gary L, Misha, Rachel, Ekaterina, and Florence. Welcome to all of you. And now, this moment, Naudity. In the town of Austin, Pennsylvania, the Bayless Pulp and Paper Mill built a dam in 1909 to help power their facility. The dam was built across the Freeman Run in a very shoddy manner. It should have been at least 30 feet thick, but to cut costs, the company made it only 20 feet thick. The dam quickly bowed under the weight of water. In 1910, a strange man in black started appearing at the railroad depot in Austin. He looked so strange that railroad workers took to calling him a ghost. He was very tall, dressed all in black, and would appear and disappear mysteriously. He was said to crawl between cars and run over the tops of them. Soon the townspeople were all talking about the Austin ghost as well. 
Then on September 30, 1911, the Austin Dam broke, killing at least 78 people. The Honestell Citizen wrote in an article that was published in October, About a year after the arrival of the ghosts, the huge dam broke with the awful result that will always be remembered by those who witnessed the horrible scenes. In their great misfortune following the flood, the Austin people who fortunately escaped with nothing valuable but their lives forgot about a little thing like a ghost, and the ghost must have been scared out by the dam talker lost its life in the flood. Was the man in black truly a ghost, and was he a portend of coming disaster like the Mothman and the Gray Man? Or was this just a sneaky transient hanging out in the railroad cars who was indeed killed in the Great Flood? We will never know, but one thing is for sure, his timing certainly was odd. This month in history. In the month of July, on the 5th, in 1946, the modern-day bikini was introduced by French engineer Louis Rayard at Pisine Molitor, a popular swimming pool in Paris. Micheline Bernardini modeled the bikini, which got its name from the Bikini Atoll, where post-war testing on the atomic bomb occurred. Bikini-like garments had been worn by women in antiquity, but such swimwear was considered risque in the 1940s. French women loved the design, but much of the public and religious organizations found the outfit to be scandalous. The bikini finally gained some traction when contestants in the first Miss World beauty pageant wore them in 1951. Actress Bridget Bardot wore one on the beach at the Cannes Film Festival in 1953, and based on the attention she received, more actresses took to being photographed in bikinis. It eventually caught on and is, of course, wildly popular today. French fashion historian Olivier Sayard remarked that the bikini became popular because of, quote, the power of women and not the power of fashion, end quote. Manhattanville College is a small liberal arts college in New York. The college began as a Catholic women's school, but through the years, it not only moved from its original location, but moved to co-education. The land where it sits today in purchase has European settlers arriving as far back as the 1600s. The main point of interest on the campus is the original castle-like mansion known as Reed Hall. The structure induces shutters and is home for legends and a really creepy picture of some children that Bailey's going to tell us about in just a bit. There are tales of ghostly nuns, cold spots, weird music, and truly terrifying presences on the campus. The history of the campus dates back to the 1600s when the Sawanoi tribe lived here under Chief Shannarock. He sold the patch of land to John Budd of Long Island who built a gristmill on the eastern end of the plot. No official claim was filed with the government, so in 1695, a Native American named Pathungo reclaimed the land. He later sold it to John Harrison with a caveat that he could still harvest the whitewood trees on the land for canoe building. The area was known as Harrison's Purchase after that time. Quakers settled the plot in 1724. 
Today, the hamlet is named Purchase, and it is part of the town of Harrison. So you can see how they use that Harrison's Purchase to name these two other places. And a really fun fact about Purchase is Pepsi has a headquarters in Purchase, and it's on the former Blindbrook Polo Club. Amelia Earhart flew her plane from those polo grounds. Ben Holliday was a business tycoon who co-owned the Ophir Silver Mine in Virginia City, Nevada, and had invested in the Pony Express and Overland Express coaches. He decided to build his mansion in 1864 on the land of the future campus, and he so loved the West that he had bison shipped in from Wyoming and elk from Colorado. I mean, we're talking that's some love. You're going to bring all those animals from the West into New York. Wildflowers and trees from the West were planted, and the stream there was stocked with trout. I don't know why he didn't just go ahead and move to the West. It seems like it'd be a lot easier, but who knows? People took to calling the estate Buffalo Park, although Holiday had named it Ophir Park, of course, after his silver mine. Holiday built a chapel on the grounds in the Norman Gothic style for his wife's family, and that chapel still stands today in the O'Neill Environmental Park on the campus. The year 1873 brought tragedy in two ways. Anne died, and Holiday lost his fortune in the Silver Panic that year. And I apologize, this microphone doesn't pick up too much background noise, but it is thunderstorming really loud outside, so if you hear some crashing, that's what that's from. John Roach owned Ophir Park for a little over three years, but he did nothing with it, so the owner of the New York Tribune, Whitelaw Reed, bought it in 1888. He and his wife Elizabeth filled the mansion with the latest advances in technology, which included a telephone and electric wiring. Frederick Law Olmsted was hired for the landscape design. Now, this is great that they're going to bring electricity into this castle. But as we all know, what comes with electricity sometimes can be fire. So a month before the Reeds moved into the mansion, a fire completely gutted the home. They were undetoured and decided to build on a grander scale using stone quarried from the property. The mansion was finished in 1892 and renamed Ophir Hall. The reception hall was covered in yellow, Numidian, African, and Georgian pink marbles. There was a beautiful stained glass window above the front staircase, and furniture from the country estate of a member of the House of Napoleon III was shipped from France. Further inside the home came an English-style design in both Elizabethan and Renaissance styles. Whitelaw Reed was away from the estate for much of the time he owned it, working as an ambassador and also running as vice president of the United States. He died in 1912 before a new wing that was being built was completed. In 1931, Mrs. Reed died and the doors of Ophir Hall were closed. The estate was gorgeous and filled with wonderful things, so it was a very sad time for the property. Their son Ogden died in 1947 and much of the estate was placed on the market. The local board fought about what to do with the property, but they were positive that they would not allow it to be turned into a shopping center. So soon it became home for Manhattanville College. Man, it is really booming out there. (laughs) I have the perfect air around me for creepy stories, I tell you what. The Academy of the Sacred Heart was founded as a Catholic boarding school for girls in 1841. Its first home was a three-story house on Houston Street on Manhattan's Lower East Side. In 1847, the Academy relocated to an area north of New York City, near the village of Manhattanville. In 1917, the academy was chartered as a college, and it took on the name Manhattanville College because of the village there. 
250 acres of the Reed Estate were purchased by Manhattanville in July of 1949, and the college was relocated. In less than a year and a half, everything was transferred and new buildings were built. The campus has around 13 buildings in total. There's the Benzinger Dining Hall, Kennedy Gym, Founders Dormitory, Brownson Hall and the Music Building, the Library, Spellman Hall, O'Byrne Chapel, Damon and Tenney Dorms, Faculty Housing, the Berman Center, and of course, the Reed Castle, which has become the administrative building. Benzinger Hall was under construction during the Korean War, and so the use of steel in building was heavily restricted. The college had to go to another plan, and they ended up using pre-stressed concrete girders, which had only been used to build pressure pipes and bridges before. This worked so well that pre-stressed concrete girders became commonplace in construction. In 1971, the college became coeducational. Right before that, the Reed Mansion was named Reed Hall, and by 1974, it was on the National Register of Historic Places. The colleges thrived and graduated thousands of students. It also has a reputation for being haunted. Lauren Zayarko is Manhattanville's archivist, and she says that most of the stories and legends are just that, a bunch of stories with no historical fact. She said, quote, unfortunately, there's no truth to them. There have been no mysterious crimes, murders, sightings, etc. in the castle history. It is just spooky rumors that students like to pass on, end quote. That being said, a campus security officer named Rich Biscardi told the following story. Several years ago, when the Manhattanville cheerleading team was practicing in the West Room, after practice, the girls all went to grab their phones and watches and realized that all of their timepieces had frozen. Like, time literally stopped until they left the West Room. It's a pretty weird anomaly. A freshman was walking on campus late one night and was passing the old small chapel behind the college and claimed, I heard weird country music. I was really curious, so I ventured inside. There was a buzz sound, and then the music went back to normal. There was no one in there. There are reports that nuns haunt the cemetery where they are buried, and one nun in particular haunts Spellman Hall. It was three in the morning when someone tried to barge into the room. It was a strong force trying to open the door, resident reported. She said it was terrifying, and many people believed the nun was just making her nightly rounds to check on the children. A freshman had a scary experience at the graveyard. I was walking by the graveyard late at night when something in the bushes kept following me. I looked around, and nothing was there but it felt real and scary. She tried to take several photos, but all of them came out blurry. Another student took a picture in the graveyard a few years ago, and to his surprise, a figure appeared in the background. And now we're joined by our listener, Bailey Pollock. Bailey, we're really excited to have you joining us. You had suggested Manhattanville College, and I take it that's because you attended there? That is correct. Yeah, I graduated in 2009. What got you interested in the paranormal? Was it going there or was it before that? Probably uh, slightly before that. I don't know. I'm just like you guys, you know, a skeptic, I suppose. But I am a uh, descendant of Rebecca Nurse, who was uh, killed during the Salem Witch Trials. So I've always been like on the outskirts of things, I suppose, or sorry, interested in the outskirts of things. So I'm definitely open to like things that go bump, essentially. And I love hearing other people's stories. And I really love the history behind it. And Manhattanville is chock full of history, just like weird connections to, you know, everything from the U.S. presidency to France and having an experience there while attending there 
definitely catapulted my feelings, I suppose, about the paranormal. Is Manhattanville, this is in, is it in New York? And that's why it's called Manhattanville? Yeah, so the original campus was actually in Manhattan. Uh, I believe it was in the Lower East Side. And there was a fire and it burned down the building in the in 1888. And they moved to Purchase, New York, which is in Westchester. It's about 20 minutes, 30 minutes north of Manhattan. And it's kind of confusing. People always thought that I was making up the college. People are like, oh, is that in the Shire? You know, is that a real place? Are you just making it up? And I'm like, no, no, no. And we even had um, Forrest Whitaker was our keynote speaker at my graduation. And he kept referring to it as Manhattan College, which is a very different school. So so he didn't even think it was a real place, I guess. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about Purchase, New York? What is the city like? So Purchase is a really small town, really quaint and cute. You know, there's like a st- an old stone wall that kind of cuts through the whole city or the whole town. You know, the main draw is SUNY Purchase, which is about three minutes down the road from Manhattanville. And then both of the colleges are stones throw from White Plains, New York, which is one of the main, I guess, cities along the train from Manhattan. So a lot of commuters go into the city and there's a lot of money in White Plains, but Purchase outside of it is very beautiful, lots of trees, stone walls, and all that good stuff. This strikes me as a smaller college, so can you describe it for us? I mean, how many buildings make up the campus? Yeah, so you can pretty much walk the whole campus in, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. It is very tiny. There's about 17, 1800 undergraduate students Everyone pretty much lives on campus, or at least that's how it was when I was there. There are four dormitory buildings. There's Reed Hall, which is the castle. There's There are two chapels, a library, and then Benzinger Hall, which is where all the classes and studios are. So like the, you know, the ceramics room and things like that. There's a big athletic program. So if you go kind of back behind it, there's the different fields and athletic buildings. And there's also a pool. It's like a It's like the Kennedy pool because one of the Kennedy girls went there. What I really love about this campus is that you have a central quad there and it was designed by Frederick Law Olmsted, who's come up a few times on the podcast because he was this amazing landscape architect and he was the one who designed Central Park. So that's pretty cool for you guys to say this little area here where we hang out was designed by the guy who did Central Park. Oh, yeah, totally. It was definitely, I mean, a draw for me because when I went to the school to do my tour, you know, I was just like, oh, my God, this is crazy. You know, there's a stream and a waterfall and all these beautiful stone buildings. And Frederick Law Olmsted designed the campus. And there's all there's pictures of the campus before it was a college campus when it was the uh, mansion. And there's like, you know, sheep grazing. And it's just, it's so beautiful. It really is. We really are. We're lucky to be there. And on clear nights, you can see the lights from New York City. So it's the kind of the best of both worlds that I, I felt it was the best of both worlds going there of being able to be close to the city and then not actually having to live in the city. When and the I, college started, what exactly did it, what was the point of starting the college? Did it have a specific reason for them starting it? Uh, it was a it was a boarding school, a Catholic boarding school for girls when it was in the city. And then when that campus burned down, they moved to the castle. And then it was uh, it founded in 1917. 
Uh, and it was an all girls Catholic school. You know, I think there's probably a lot of history there that I'm not entirely sure about just how many all girl colleges were there at the time, et cetera. So yeah, I know a little bit more about the actual grounds and buildings before it was Manhattanville. And one thing I learned uh, while researching was that the United Nations was thinking about making the castle its headquarters in um, the 1940s, which is so like, what? <laughs> that would have been a really unique place, especially when you look at the United Nations building today, which is basically just a kind of a skyscraper type thing. Yeah, that would have been yeah. very different. Well, speaking of Reed Castle, that place looks creepy as heck. So what is it like to have this castle in the middle of your campus there? Oh, man, it was it was really cool. I mean, of course, I'm sure a lot of people kind of were not interested in it, but I thought it was super cool. I worked in the castle. I worked at the admissions admissions department, which was upstairs. So I was there, you know, almost every day wandering through the halls. And there's like this grand foyer of pink marble and this grand staircase and stained glass and this really dark rich wood everywhere and yeah it is it's super creepy like I never wanted to be there at night alone you know you're like it's like when you leave the basement and you turn the lights off and you run up the stairs and it's like that's how it is just being in that castle and um yeah so it's cool it's a it's an awesome focal point and there's like really cool pictures of the castle throughout the history and it's, it's our logo, I guess, Manhattanville's logo, which, you know, it's it's cool to have like a, a symbol, I suppose. Well, it makes um, you very unique, that's for sure. Yeah, totally. When I tell people that I went to school where there was a castle and I worked in a castle, they're like, what? You know, it makes <laughs> it makes Manhattanville as like a fake place even more of a fake place. It's like, oh, OK, was there a moat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we had knights jousting in the front and everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, well, our um, our mascot is a valiant, which is a, is a knight. So <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, what is the story behind the castle? Obviously, it had it was somebody's residence before the college moved in. So, what do you know about that? Yeah, Benjamin Holiday. His name was his nickname was Doc. He uh, built the mansion using winnings from a poker game in 1864. Uh, and the original building had 84 rooms. I have no idea how many rooms are there now because it has since burned down. But uh, so he was the original uh, owner builder. And there's a chapel way behind the castle that he built for his wife. It's called Holiday Chapel. And it's really beautiful and serene back there. But I was always told there was a fire and... <laughs> It has a dirt floor, and they recently put glass ceiling on it. So it's really, really cool place, but super creepy because it's like just the skeleton of this little tiny stone chapel in the back. So sorry, that was a, a tangent. But hey, we in, love our uh, rabbit holes, and that is kind of <laughs> weird to think of this just basically a skeleton of a chapel. I love the way you describe that. Yeah, and so there's like. We would go back there when I was at school. I don't know if I should even be dispelling this or sharing the secrets, but like we would go back there. We would sneak around at night and go back to the chapel. And I know they do hold dance dance concerts there, which is super awesome. It's lit up really beautifully and, you know, the dirt floor with a very few pews. But I heard rumors that there was a catacomb underneath, which is like, you know, even if that's not true, just thinking about that is like when you're in this dirt floor chapel, 
you're like, oh, there are bodies underneath here, you know, and it's like, oh, that's really creepy. Let's get the heck out of here. <laughs> well, there is a graveyard there. Is it is it on the campus? Yeah, there is a graveyard. Um, we called it the Nun Cemetery, and I don't know if there are other people buried there besides nuns and priests. So when the school was a Catholic school, any nun who worked there or lived there was buried there, I'm assuming. It's very serene. There's not actual headstones. They're all kind of laid into the ground. And it's so beautiful, all these sloping hills. And so, you know, you take you take the sh- shortcut through the cemetery. But there's like a couple graves that are multiple names written on them. And there was rumors that was like, oh, that was from the fire in the city. When they moved to this building, they brought all these bodies with them and buried them here. It's hard to find the actual information about this, but so just going based on, you know, campus legend, apparently there are mass graves from the fire (laughs) in the cemetery. Don't you just love ghost lore and urban (laughs) legends? (laughs) So basically the whole campus is on a big graveyard. Well, that's the whole thing. That would be a perfect (laughs) campus to have some great urban legends. Right, exactly. Yeah, this creepy castle and then a cemetery and two chapels. You're like, yeah. <laughs> but so the actual building itself, after Benjamin Holiday lost all his money and it the estate fell into Whitelaw Reed's ownership. He was the owner of the New York Tribune and he was also the appointed ambassador to France. Uh, he also ran as a vice president at one point. I can't remember what the year was, but he ran as a vice president with somebody who lost, obviously. The castle was the first house in Westchester County to have electricity and a telephone. And this was 1888, I believe. And then before they were able to move in, it burned down. They got back to building it right away. And that's when actually he chose Frederick Law Olmsted to design the grounds at that point. So those... That didn't really happen until, you know, the late 1880s. They also, there's also a fi- uh, an elevator in the castle, and it's one of the oldest. I was always told that it was one of the oldest elevators in Westchester County. And there's, like, a lot of spooky stuff that happened to me personally in that elevator. And, like, it would just go on its own and close the doors and take you to floors you didn't really want to go to, like the basement, which, like, no one ever wanted to go to the basement of the castle anyway, so... <laughs> In 1917, Manhattanville, came, Manhattanville became a college, and then 1949, they moved from the city to that location. And then it wasn't until the 70s that they became co-ed, non-denominational. The ratio is still a little bit skewed, but apparently they're co-ed now. <laughs> the guys probably don't mind that at all. Yeah, I don't think that's, I don't think so. <laughs> Well, it's interesting how many, quote unquote, haunted elevators we've heard about, especially at campuses. And so I'm not surprised to hear you say that because a lot of people that have them on a campus will be like, there's this one, it's in this dorm or over in this building and it goes up and down on its own. And of course, we always wonder if it doesn't have something to do with it's the electrical, whatever. But it just, I don't know, I find it very interesting that we have so many of these elevators that seem to be responding in this kind of way. Now, you mentioned that there was a fire at the Reed Castle, and I know there's some ghost lore that goes with it. I don't know if this is really true, but apparently a child or some children in the house died in the fire. Is that true? So that 
is the lore that I learned. And in researching a little bit further, Whitelaw Reed only had two children. And the rumor was that three children died in the fire. So whether that means that he had three children and they died in the fire and then he was he had two more, I don't know. But that is the rumor. And across the hallway from the elevator on the first floor of the castle is this giant portrait of three children. And it's that trick where the eyes follow you Mm -hmm. and they're in like period clothing and even the boy is wearing some sort of dress number. And it is such a creepy portrait and you pretty much have to pass it no matter what you're doing, whether you're coming out of the elevator or coming down the stairs, like you're passing that creepy portrait of these three children that I think fed into the rumor of these three children dying. And it's like, oh, that's the portrait of the three children who died in the fire, which is helpful and not helpful at the same time. But yeah, it's like the chicken and the egg, which came first? Was the painting there and then the ghost lore came from that? Or is right, the painting right, feeding right. off of the ghost lore? But right. I, I'm trying to figure out that seems like such a peculiar piece of artwork to have and in an administrative building for a college. Three creepy looking kids in period clothing. I mean, what? Oh I know you have no idea. I tried to find a picture of it to send to you guys, but I, I sadly could not find it. I need to like contact somebody close by so they can go get a photo of this thing. I mean, it's like, it's huge. You know, it's got to be seven feet tall and it's hanging kind of high. So the kids are looking down from you from like five feet. Oh my God. Yeah. It's really, really, really terrifying. And the elevator, it has a, a gate that closes first and then it has this tiny little, you know, less than a foot portal of of a window that you look out of. So like when the elevator goes to the first floor, you have this little circular window with the gate and then you see this portrait and then the gate, the (laughs) gate opens and you're just like, ah. And at one point I was doing, I was working in the administrative building, uh, two jobs. I was working in the admissions department and I was working in the basement doing like, you know, the telecommuting, trying to get alumni to donate money. And we worked really late at night. So I'd be there, you know, I'd be coming up from the basement at like 9.30 o'clock at night. Sorry, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And you're coming out of the elevator or you're coming by the stairs and you see (laughs) it's like everything's dark. No one is in the building. And you're just like running by it. Like, please. Oh, my God, please. No noises. No nothing. I would be doing the same thing because, you know, sometimes kids creep me out anyway, but I... That is so weird. And then to have an elevator that has a portal in it, because usually you're used to the doors close and you just watch the numbers and then you're there. So it's a very creepy elevator. So the floor is it's so old that the floor is kind of warped from people walking and standing. And it's like these brass fixtures and those like push buttons that are the they're like the plastic circle. And then you actually depress the button. It's just but I remember getting in that elevator one of the first times and I was with, you know, an RA or something. And I was like, is this safe? (laughs) They're like, Oh yeah, it's fine. (laughs) I know what you're saying. I used to deliver pizzas once upon a time and I would go into these high rises in downtown Denver and have to go up. And it is basically, they'd be those elevators that are really old that are basically big enough for one person. (laughs) And you're sitting there going, okay, this thing stinks and it's like creaking and it's just really old. And I would have the same thing thinking, oh my God, I'm going to die in this elevator and nobody's going to know I'm here. Oh my God. (laughs) 
So what kind of experiences have you had there on the campus in general? So I'll start from the the least creepy and, and go to the Big Bang. I had this really ridiculous habit of waiting to the last minute to write papers. So I would be in the library till three, four, five o'clock in the morning. And in the back of the library, there's six floors of stacks where all of the books are kept, essentially. It's really dark, and they have these really perfect little one-person desks that are amazing for getting your laptop, getting work done, just hammering it out. And that's what I love doing. But they were so creepy. You have no idea. It was dark. The stairs were creepy. You know, you'd hear these bumps and you're like, oh, is that a book falling off the shelf? Is that a person? What is going on? I went to the same desk every single time because I did not want to mess with the stacks. Like I never went up to the, to the sixth floor and I never went down to the like, basement floor of the stacks. So people always knew where to find me because I'd be right in the middle on the same desk. But I, I have heard that people have heard like noises and creaking and have seen books fall off the shelf. I never had an actual experience, but it was just creepy as hell. So I tried not to really think about it too much. I also made the mistake of watching the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose in college. (laughs) And I'm not good with scary movies at all. And I watched it with a friend and I was like, oh, it's fine. You'll be fine. I've seen it before, which was all true. We watched this movie and then I had to go write this paper. So I went to the library at like 11, 12 o'clock at night. And then I was done at three o'clock, which in the movie, that's like, well, in life, I guess that's the witching hour. But in the movie, that's like a huge deal, the three o'clock thing. And, you know, I just remember just being frozen and like, okay, I could maybe sleep here or if I don't move, nothing will happen. And I think I eventually called my boyfriend at the time and I was like, you need to come and get me. And he's like, are you serious? <laughs> like, cause it's like a seven minute walk across the quad. And I was like, yes, I am so serious. Like I'm, I'm petrified. I cannot move. I, I'm alone in the library. So that, you yeah. know, that's <laughs> a real fear though. First of all, just being on a college campus at three o'clock in the morning, a woman walking across it, not a good idea, but When we did the episode on Penn State, we talked to uh, Matt Swain about this, and he had said that a woman was murdered in the stacks. And just the other day, I was listening to the True Murder podcast, and he had an author on there that had written Murder in the Stacks about that murder. So when you're describing the stacks and how creepy and dark and in the library by yourself, I'm like, you know, this is for real. There is a real reason to be afraid, even if there wasn't some ghost watching you. And incidentally, I think if you just stayed frozen and maybe hid behind some books, the ghost wouldn't have seen you. It's kind of like pulling your covers over you at night. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great idea, Diane. (laughs) Yeah, ghosts can't move covers. Everyone knows that. Exactly. So if you had like some books around you as a shield, they'd never know you were there. (laughs) I'm so glad I didn't know about the murder in the stacks while I was in college. Oh my gosh. I wouldn't have graduated. Yeah. (laughs) So that was in the library, which was a building next to the Reed Castle. And I, I did a lot of sneaking around in the castle at night and on the fourth floor of the castle. 
there were some hidden doors. And since it was a home at some point, you know, you'd open a door and there'd be like a clawfoot bathtub in the middle of this administrative building. And so, you know, we definitely snuck up to the third, fourth floor and we found these hidden doors. We were opening every cabinet and, you know, it was just the red glare of the emergency exit light and just that creepy feeling that you get that someone is kind of nearby or watching you or following you. And whether it was perceived or real, you know, we didn't spend a ton of time just kind of messing around in there. But so related to the children's portrait, when I when I was a freshman at Manhattanville, every freshman lives in Spelman dorm, which is rumored to have a couple of ghosts itself. But I lived on the third floor. I had one roommate and we went to bed. It was in the beginning, probably September in the beginning of the year and our beds were kind of in an L shape and in between her feet and my head was our little mini fridge and a fan on top of the fridge facing towards her and I went to bed one night and she was already sleeping and I'm laying in bed and I hear voices and they're talking at me through the fan you know that like Darth Vader effect <laughs> Yes. So they're talk I'm laying on my back, my, you know, right ear is to the fan and to my roommate who's sleeping and I hear, We're here, we're here, you can't forget about us, we're here and I froze and I was like, My roommate's name was Jen and I said, Jen, Jen? No, no response. And it was silent for a few seconds and then it said, You can't forget about us. Good night. Good night. Good night. Three distinct voices talking at me through the fan, and I couldn't move. I couldn't move. And I just remember laying on my back with the covers pulled up to my chin for hours until I finally fell asleep. And after that, it was October, and they, they do like these haunted Halloween tours of the castle. And it was my first time in the castle, and we get into the elevator, and we see this portrait, and we stop outside the portrait, and the guy giving the tour said, you know, these are the three children rumored to have died in the fire, and sometimes they still haunt the third and fourth floors because that's where they died. And I, like, I mean, my blood ran cold, mm -hmm. and I was like, holy crap, the, that those were, that's, that, that was it. That, that's who was talking to me. And, you know, I, I've never, you know, fallen victim to that kind of thinking before. I've never been like, oh, yeah, you know, a ghost visited me. It was my first experience. It was so real. My roommate thought I was messing with her. And so she like did not want to talk about it for a while. And then she finally got it. And she was like, that means that they were on my bed. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> but so that you had not seen this portrait before you heard the voices? No, I had not. Wow, that is, and you know, this is not the first time that I've heard somebody say that they've heard basically an EVP coming through a fan. It's very similar really? to when they use like a ghost box and they're going through the radio dials and they're picking up the voices through that. I have heard this before where somebody was hearing voices coming through the fan like that. And I, oh my God. it's like they manipulate somehow the, the sound vibration and the way the wind is going. What's interesting about this is you were in the dorm, which is yeah. it's next to the castle, but not, I mean, it's not the castle. So if let's say that this was the children that died in that fire, they obviously are able to leave that location and go to other locations. And it makes you wonder why in the world were they talking to you? 
<laughs> I have no idea. I mean, maybe it was because I was going to be in the castle so much and I don't know. But yeah, it is very interesting because the, the dormitory that I was in isn't even the next closest building to the castle. You know, there's like three buildings that are way closer. Mm. And yeah, I, I mean... I don't tell a lot of people about this experience. Mm-hmm. Definitely not like, you know, my first date opener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Hey, I think I'll have the salad. And by the way, I heard some voices talking to me through a fan once. I think they let were these dead you. kids. Yeah, let me tell you this real life ghost story. <laughs> but yeah, it was very creepy and it, and it stuck with me. I mean, I can remember, I remember the 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 way that the light was in the room. And I remember I had this like stupid Bob Marley poster hanging above my bed. And I just remember like looking up at this poster and being like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you had seen, let's say you'd gone on the tour and you'd seen the picture, then I would think, well, this is just some kind of suggestion that you just had this experience. And so maybe you were just manifesting it and imagining right, it. Right. But the fact that you were clueless and that it was these what sounded like children's voices who didn't want to be forgotten. I it'd be interesting to see if we could find out if there's some, you'd think there'd have to be some kind of newspaper. I might go back through the newspapers and see if I could find something because you would think that would make some kind of news if somebody's kids died in a fire like that. Yeah, and, and I mean even just know learning who those kids were in the portrait would be a mm-hmm. step. You know, but it's just like these unknown kids, at least unknown to me and anyone I knew at school. Do they um, know how far back that portrait goes? Like who painted oh, it? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure someone does. Uh, I don't. There was one thing that I forgot to mention that's in the castle. So down the hall from the creepy portrait and the elevator is this little tiny room. And I don't know if it was a library or like a sitting room or a parlor, but we always we had these like fundraising fashion shows in the castle sometimes. And so we would use it as like the makeup wardrobe room. But in this room, if you go inside and close the door and turn the lights off, which you're already really asking for it if you do that, but... (laughs) There's a mirror, a huge mirror over over the fireplace and the wood paneling around the room is continuous through the door if you close the door. So it looks like you're kind of trapped in a box without a door with this mirror and there's it's kind of like angular spikes and if you the legend is if you stare into the mirror the room closes in around you. Ah. And it's just kind of like a trick of the eye uh-huh. and it's terrifying. <laughs> Because you're like, oh my god, get me out of here! But we we did that a couple times. I don't know why. But it's kind of like doing times. Bloody Mary, only it's without the Bloody Mary. It's the spikes are going to come in and crush you. Yeah, way <laughs> way safer than Bloody Mary. <laughs> way safer. The spikes are going to crush you. Oh, that's so much more safe than Bloody Mary. <laughs> yep. Well, Denise, she's not tempting the spirits. Then it's just I'm looking at a mirror and the walls are closing in on me. So she's not really asking for anything. But it's yeah, still kind of tempting. Safe. So was the fan thing your big bang or was there something else? That was it. Um, That's the only real experience that I've ever had. And it was like real. I mean, there's it's just a it's a creepy feeling. You know, there's behind this classroom building. I might have misspoke before. I can't remember if Benzinger Hall is the cafeteria or if it's the classroom building. But behind the classroom building, there's a little tiny stream and there's this little tiny house that is smaller than a one car garage. And there's like one little tiny door that's like two feet tall. And no one really knows what that building is for. 
So, you know, if you take walks around the campus, it, you're like, oh, this is beautiful, but also extremely creepy. Like, mm-hmm. what is that house for? Why is the door so small? There's, an, you know, another access road that kind of leads out the campus that we never, ever went down. It was so scary. But I remember, like, jogging down it and just being like, oh, I should turn around. I don't know. It's just a very creepy place. But I feel like a lot of historical and beautiful places do give off that creepy vibe of, like, okay, there's a religious aspect here. There's the all-women college that was started here. There's been a fire. There's been, you know, sheep, which are creepy, you know. <laughs> it's like... So many things. (laughs) Creepy sheep. Sheep ghosts. Creepy sheep. When you were there or other people that you know who went there, did anybody else share any of their experiences with you or of the paranormal nature that they might have had? I did talk to one friend who says that he saw, what did he call it? A banshee. And I don't think he knew what a banshee was, but he said that he was walking with a friend at night across the campus, across the quad, and he saw this like crouched figure all dark kind of running towards them and then running away from them. And I, I tried to press for more information, but that's all I got. And he said that his friend also saw the same thing and they were both like, Oh my God, let's get out of here. And they kind of ran away. But that's the only experience. That's the only additional experience that I've heard in Spelman, the freshman dorm. There were definitely people who would say that doors would open on their own and things like that. The third floor girls bathroom was super creepy. I don't know if it was like just the ground was tilted, but the doors of the stalls would swing open and close. So if you were there by yourself in the middle of the night, you'd hear like the great. It's like, oh my God. But there's no mention of a, a spirit haunting the third floor. There's only a mention of a spirit haunting the first floor which is rumored to be a nun who was um, an RA who hung herself and she still is haunting the first floor trying to care for her students. Uh, but I never had any experience with that. I've only, I only heard about it. Yeah. See, I don't know which is creepier, the little kids or the ghost nuns. I yeah, right. vote for ghost little kids. Nuns. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Diane. I think that kids are normally creepy on their own. So like ghost <laughs> kids. <laughs> Maybe we don't have to put that in the show, but like. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, for any future people who might want to, because you're not married, right? No, I'm not married. So for any future prospects, we'll we'll make sure to cut that out. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not getting with her. She doesn't want any kids, obviously. She also thinks they're creepy, which is like a harsh. <laughs> it's harsh. <laughs> Might be even worse than, yeah, I don't mind having kids. I just think they're creepy. Yeah, no, sticky hands. I'm just not into it. Yeah. <laughs> you sound a yeah. lot like Diane. Snotty noses. <laughs> that is horrifying to me. You could show me some blood, but snot coming out of the nose. Mm, no. Yeah. <laughs> I had looked up some stuff on Matt, Manhattanville College, and they say that in the library that many people have heard whispers and seen entities in the back room of the library where the books and archives are. So the fact that you were in this little desk there in the middle of the night and you're kind of telling us how you were feeling along with what I just read, it's like, okay, super creep. Yeah, it's definitely an experience, you know, and I was young. So you you kind of, when it's happening, you kind of chalk it up to that. Be like, okay, you're okay. It's just late. You're tired. You're this. You've been staring at a computer. You've been staring at books. Many years later, thinking about it, it's like, Yeah, that was creepy. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Bailey. We really appreciate the suggestion and having you come on with us. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. All right. Bye-bye. 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 
Is Manhattanville College haunted? That is for you to decide. On our next episode, we're going to be joined by listener Chris Klimovitz, and you all might remember him from episode 156, in which we featured Hoyobasayu Forest. Chris has been doing a lot of teaching over in Albania, and he came back to the U.S. for a little bit of a break, and right before he went back to Albania, he joined us to talk about some of the legends of the Balkans. So we're going to share that with you guys on our next episode. And just to give you a taste, we talk about the Valley of Witches and Ghosts. So this isn't all about vampires. There's a lot of legends over there. Want to encourage you guys to check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can always do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And if you leave your comments in various areas, we'll generally see those and respond to you as well. Kelly left a comment in the Spooktacular crew. We've semi-seriously decided that we have a ghost here. For one, shortly after we moved in, my husband was painting our bedroom alone in the house when a balloon one of the kids had left in the kitchen floated all the way down the hall, made a turn, and came into where he was working. He said it seemed very sweet and welcoming. Apparently, Dorothy, the previous owner, loved kids. She had five and would have been happy to have a family in her home again. Then last night, our friend was babysitting and the overhead light switched itself off over and over, which it never does. I guess Dorothy doesn't like strangers. I don't know. Sounds like something weird's going on there, Kelly. And then we got this email from Elise. You all might remember that we featured Hollywood Cemetery in Richmond, Virginia on our Haunted Cemeteries 2 episode. We talked about a dog statue. Well, this story ought to give you a little bit of a creep. Hello, Diane and Denise. I love the podcast, and I'm so excited to hear that you're coming to Virginia as it is absolutely filled with both history and hauntings. I recently graduated from the University of Mary Washington here in Fredericksburg, Virginia with a degree in historic preservation, and I currently work at a museum and archaeological site in Fredericksburg called Fairy Farm, George Washington's Boyhood Home. I catalog artifacts found on our site in the archaeological lab and absolutely love handling those artifacts that once belonged to the Washington family, and how amazing must that be? While Fairy Farm itself isn't rife with hauntings, Fredericksburg certainly is, and I hope you find the ghost tours just as fun as I do. I loved your second show about haunted cemeteries because you talked about one of my favorite places, Hollywood Cemetery in Richmond, Virginia. I haven't had a ton of ghostly encounters in my time, but one of the few had occurred in that very cemetery in 2010. I was visiting VCU for a friend's 21st birthday, and the day after the party, he took us to see the sights in Richmond. One of the places we spent the most time was at Hollywood Cemetery. We saw the President's Circle and the Confederate Monument. As we walked between the above-ground mausoleums, my friend says, What's that moving over there? We saw a medium-sized black dog trotting through the rows of tombstones. We all called out to the dog, who was obviously lost, to see if it had a collar, but it just kept walking at a pace just a tiny bit faster than ours. We didn't want to run after it, as that would surely scare it off. A strange part of this was that, as we followed the dog, it would periodically stop and look back at us, as if to see that we were still following, and then it would continue walking. Me and my other friends wanted to give up on following the dog after some time, but my friend who had just turned 21 insisted that we continue on. Another 10 minutes had gone by when the dog turned and seemingly vanished behind a large grave marker, and we lost sight of it, finally giving up. We continued on our walk through the huge cemetery. The whole time I was feeling a little strange, but I couldn't explain why. Then suddenly a thought raced back to me. I had read about this cemetery as a child, and I shouted at my friend, Is there a black dog statue in here? He said, yeah, let's go see it. It's on the way out. 
When we reached the grave of the little girl, I explained to them the legend about the black dog, and needless to say, we were all chilled by the possibility that we may not have been following a living dog just moments before. Well, Elise, thank you for sharing that, and wow. I already thought that was one of the creepiest stories I'd heard, that possibly the statue might move and that people had seen this little girl ghost running around with the dog, but the fact that you guys might have seen that dog... Now, it could have been a stray dog and it was fast and you just didn't see it manage to get out of the cemetery. But what if it wasn't? And then I again have to ask, how does a statue of a dog become a spirit? Because it was just a statue. It wasn't made in memory of a dog. It was a statue made by the parents to protect their little girl. So what is that? That's why I love the paranormal, because we'll just never be able to explain stuff like that. We have a couple of reviews to share from iTunes. First up, Sig Sig Signify, five stars, my favorite podcast. This is easily my favorite podcast. The hosts are very likable and accessible to their listeners, have great chemistry, and are very knowledgeable about the topic they're discussing. I recommend this podcast to anyone interested in history and or ghosts, and if you can, support them on Patreon. The bonus content is well worth it. P.S. Please make many more Haunted Cemetery episodes. They are by far my favorite. Well, thank you for encouraging people to support us on Patreon, which obviously you are doing. And yeah, our bonus content isn't just little stupid things we're throwing up there. These are well-researched and I think a lot of fun episodes for you guys to check out. And Haunted Cemetery episodes, oh yes, they are definitely coming right now. According to the calendar I have here in front of me, looks like we might be doing one a month. Hmm, and October's got some really hot spots think you're going to really love those cemeteries we've picked for October. And then Real Wrestling Fan, great, five stars. I really enjoy your podcast. I love history and I love the paranormal, so this is a great mix for me. I love the chemistry between both of you. Diane, I think you do a great job, but Denise's voice is super cute. Keep up the great work. Well, I know that Denise will definitely appreciate hearing that her voice is cute since there have been people in the past who found it quite annoying. So that's awesome. Thank you for that. And then from Canada, Jane Canucks, 1980, five stars, delightful and informative. I think I was searching through various other history podcasts that I subscribed to on iTunes as to what they iTunes recommended. One of the podcasts was this podcast. I haven't been disappointed. Diane and Denise present a well-researched and fun podcast that is delightful and informative. Continue the great work, ladies. Well, thank you. We appreciate that, Jane. I want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. I have been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Kathleen Kenna and Rachel Peterson. Thanks. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.